You are listening to National Security Law Today. Welcome to National Security Law Today, the podcast of the Standing Committee on Law and National Security. I'm Elisa. And I'm Yvette. And we're here with a special edition podcast celebrating the exceptional life and service of American luminary and national security legend, Colin Powell. And to help us reflect is ABA's Executive Director, Jack Rives. Welcome, sir. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. We're typically super informal around these parts, but Mr. Rive was the Judge Advocate General of the Air Force when I was a wee little baby jag and old habits die hard. So I hope you'll all forgive me. <laughs> well, I think we can forgive you. <laughs> and it's great to have Mr. Rives here because he had the pleasure to serve alongside Mr. Powell when he was Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Let's talk just a little bit about what that might have been like. Sure. Yvette earlier described General Powell as a legend, and that's how I saw him when I was first assigned to the office of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and the legal counsel's office. Military attorneys or judge advocates or JAGs tend to work very closely with commanders, and that was certainly true of my experience on the Joint Chief of Staff. General Powell's policy actually required legal counsel coordination on anything he was asked to sign. I, I, early on, I found that was both the good news and the bad news. The good news was we got to see everything the chairman was going to see. At the time, there were only seven of us in the legal counsel office, and there's an overwhelming volume of paperwork that goes through, and a lot of it has a suspense or, or required deadline of kind of immediately. So the good news was we saw everything. The bad news was we had to act on everything. But the lawyers in the office had a, a very good background. We were involved in things. We shared information. So we were able to quickly review documents to determine if there was a legal issue. Interestingly, our most common coordination on the Joint Chief of Staff coordination sheet was NLO. All we would do is those three letters. And it stood for no legal objection. And what it meant was whoever reviewed it knew enough to say there's no overriding legal issue or concern here. So we would type, we would put in NLO and sign our name. The legal counsel also had a copy of General Powell's daily schedule, and he had a standing invitation for us to sit in his meetings whenever we wanted to. So frequently on um, one of those actions that, that I had signed off on NLO, I would go into General Powell's office and sometimes it would be, he would be with maybe a couple of three stars from the joint staff at his small round table. And he would invite me to sit at the table with him. And frequently over his shoulder at the time I would see, and this is the summer of 1993, I would see CNN over his shoulder with a live broadcast and I could tell sometimes they were talking about what we were talking about. And I was thinking, OK, I've got I've got some insights that you would like to have. But General Powell did value uh, the legal inputs. It was a, a pleasure to work with him. In fact, I had incredible opportunities to get to know General Powell for my very first day on the job. You asked what was he like? And I could use every positive adjective to describe him. And I'd still be understating his character and his integrity. He's just a genuinely nice man who cares about people. He's, he was extremely intelligent. He was always engaged. He was a warm and caring person. He had a positive attitude that inspired others. He always treated everyone with dignity and respect. 
Just to give you one example, um, my first day on the job, I was told about a case that General Powell was involved with from uh, his, his early days as chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff, and it had come up for litigation, and I was told I had the, the lead in that case. So I frequently had discussions with General Powell, and when he was in his last month before retiring, the parties chose to depose him. And of course, he was very busy, especially in his last month on active duty. And so I worked it for him where he could actually do the deposition in the tank. The tank is the conference room where the Joint Chiefs of Staff met. And needless to say that the the day of the deposition, there were about two dozen plaintiff's attorneys there who came from the West Coast and St. Louis and and all over just to be in the presence of General Powell. I had uh, prepared him for what a deposition is like and how he, we could make objections for the record, but he would have to answer any questions. And I noticed during the deposition that the plaintiff's attorneys would ask the right questions. Joan Powell's answer often would call for a follow-up, and, and they really deferred and didn't do the follow-up that might have been embarrassing for General Powell or would have been harsh because they were respectful of his approach. Depositions are never fun if you're the person being deposed, but General Powell handled it very effectively. As, as we were leaving the tank, that's about a, probably a 150-foot walk from the tank back to the chairman's office. We noticed outside the chairman's office, there was a young army major with what appeared to be his parents and his grandmother. And the easiest thing in the world, he, he, the young major, I saw he had a joint chief of staff badge on him, but I hadn't seen him around. And I'm, I'm very sure General Powell didn't know him because I later found out where he worked, which was in a a five-digit office in the bowels of the Joint Staff among 2,000 other people. But the easiest thing in the world would have been for General Powell just to walk by. And then the family would have been able to say, wow, we were outside General Powell's office and we actually saw him. But instead, what General Powell did is he stopped, he spoke to the family, he told them how much he appreciated the contributions of their son, the Army Major, to the Joint Staff and to the country. He shook their hands and you could, you could tell that the family probably wasn't going to wash their hands for a long time because they, they had the honor of being in his presence. He really did handle everything with class. He led by example. And uh, most recently, I, I had an opportunity to spend some time with him just a couple of years ago. We spent about a half an hour reminiscing, and he, he was just a wonderful man, truly a great American. Well, I just want to ask, um, Mr. Rives, if on some of the occasions where you're in General Powell's office, if you saw his inscription from Thucydides, of all manifestations of power, restraint impresses men most. That's been well remarked upon. He had like a cross stitch of it. Did you get to see it? I, I don't have a particular memory of that because he, he had a lot of mementos in his office. But that that sounds exactly like what he would have had and displayed and I'm sure referenced in and a number of conversations. His office was like a museum. I, I, I enjoyed just looking around. I mean, I, I had to focus on him and what we were talking about, but it was easy for my eyes to roam around and just to see the various mementos in his office because at that point, he retired as uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs on September 30th, 1993, after serving two full terms. He was a man of real achievement then. He had uh, grown up and joined the Army and excelled as an army officer all the way through. And he was, he was a White House fellow. He was chosen uh, by President Reagan to be his national security advisor. 
He moved on through the ranks and, of course, became the nation's leading military officer as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Yeah, that's a that's a really beautiful reflection there on him. I also find it interesting that you're talking about something that he had on the wall about restraint as uh, showing character. It certainly does. I also find it fascinating because it sounds a little bit evocative of Sun Tzu. So lest you should underestimate him. I think he had a power that we could all grasp. Maybe he was a long-term thinker as well, which I, I think is one of our, our deficiencies overall. So that is, is really, really awesome. You also wrote a tribute to Mr. Powell with a picture of you about 1993. And we will be sure to link that in the notes to the podcast. So, Mr. Rives, you touched a little bit on Mr. Powell's uh, storied career, but let's just talk a little bit more in depth. He was the son of Jamaican immigrants and was an ROTC graduate of the City College of New York. After he was commissioned, he went on a train in Georgia where he was turned away from bars and restaurants because of his race. And I think that's a really important context while we're discussing how much he was able to achieve and how far he was able to go. Uh, Mr. Powell went on to serve uh, two tours in Vietnam, and then he returned home to earn an MBA from GW uh, University. Uh, He just shot up the ranks and he served as national security advisor to President Reagan as a three-star general. And then when he was a four-star, he became the Forcecom commander and he was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff as we've been reflecting on. He was the first black national security advisor and chairman in history. I just wanna pause here and say uh, that as the daughter of a Jamaican immigrant and an ROTC graduate, it, it. was a really big deal to me personally when I learned he was going to be elevated to the chairman. In fact, I remember memorizing his name when I was in junior ROTC in high school. Uh, <laughs> so that was um, how significant it was uh, It was for us uh, in, in, in my community. Mr. Rives, can you just, uh, just tell us a little bit more about the mark he made on history from that position? Yeah, he clearly he was a black man and clearly there were things he did as the first black person, the first person of color to to do. I heard him tell the story of the first time he returned from uh, serving in Vietnam. As you mentioned, he had two tours in Vietnam and he was uh, visiting his wife in uh, Birmingham and her family. And he was driving. He was he was in uniform as an army captain at the time. And uh, he was pulled over by a state trooper who clearly was harassing him because he noticed a black man driving a nice car. He was an army officer at the time. You know, that that made an impact on him. And there were other things through his life where because he happened to be black, he received discrimination that people of color received just simply because of that factor. But General Powell always had a positive attitude. And I heard him speak frequently of the fact that the military was a great meritocracy. He believed that a person would be judged by the, as Dr. King said, by the quality of their character and of their service and of their capabilities. And certainly in his case, he made it to the to the very top. As we mentioned earlier, General Powell served two terms, two full terms as chairman of the Joint Chiefs, four years. Uh, he oversaw a number of military conflicts. The first significant one was Operation Just Cause in Panama, which went on for six weeks beginning in late December, 1989. His most significant military operation as chairman of the Joint Chiefs was the Persian Gulf War, which was a response to Iraq's invasion and annexation of Kuwait in August of 1990. The war began on January 17, 1991, and it lasted for five weeks. 
it involved a coalition of 35 countries, and it was the largest military alliance since World War II. Yvette mentioned General Powell's two tours in Vietnam, and I've referred to it. He was a young army officer at the time, and he clearly was shaped by his experiences in that war, and especially by what he and other young army officers saw the senior leadership of the country doing, and he resolved to do things differently. General Powell is known for what's called the Powell Doctrine, which is an approach to military conflicts that match, maximizes the potential for success and minimizes casualties. The Powell Doctrine essentially requires the United States only to go to war as a last resort and to do so in a manner that clearly serves the national interest. The military power is one of the arms available for the political branch to use, but he emphasized it should be a last resort and that the military should not be involved unless we have clear and attainable objectives and an exit strategy. He also said we should use overwhelming force. We should have broad domestic and international support. He very carefully came up with, with the doctrine and he lived by it to the maximum extent possible. He applied the doctrine when he was briefing reporters at the Pentagon at the beginning of the Gulf War. Uh, he famously summed up the military's approach when responding to a question. He said, our strategy is very simple. First, we're going to cut it off and then we're going to kill it. In all things, I would summarize by saying General Powell was thoughtful and effective. That's uh, the Powell Doctrine, I think, is an interesting one. And as we look right now at the end of a, a 20 year war, it seems brilliant, insightful, and um, something that really should be studied and applied going forward by our military and political leaders. To say it was sage is, I guess, an understatement. Let, let's turn to what happened to the big hope among a lot of people that Powell would run for president um, because uh, he would bring a dignity and a strength to the office that would really have been something. So um, the polling was very favorable to him, if you recall, but ultimately he made a decision not to run, even though he was unanimously confirmed as the Secretary of State under George Bush. What do you think was his, were his, I should rephrase that in the plural, of course, his contributions to the country as Secretary of State, the big ones? We could probably spend hours talking about his many contributions, his inherent credibility wherever he went and his authoritative and reserved manner. But what do you think were sort of the big things that he accomplished? Yeah, Alyssa, you just uh, used a lot of very effective and applicable descriptive terms for Secretary of State Powell. He was Secretary of State uh, from 2001 to 2005. He demonstrated very calm and effective leadership, and that was especially valuable after the September 11th attacks uh, back in 2001. And if I was to single out one thing that uh, he, he did most effectively as secretary, it was exercising his critical role to manage the relationships of this country with a number of foreign nations, and he secured a coalition for what became the war on terrorism. So he, he was personally very directly involved, and he was able to show other countries why we should form a coalition to to battle the terrorist in the most effective manner. And after he left office, he effectively left public life, but he was absolutely not forgotten. 
Uh, at the time of his passing this week, he was considered to be a highly respected elder statesman on both sides of the aisle. And he was incredibly influential in politics and national security throughout his decades of service, including after he left an appointed position. Yeah, uh, General Powell wrote several books. I would uh, especially commend his 1995 autobiography, My American Journey, and also his two 2012 book, It Worked for Me, which expands on his life experiences and, and lessons learned. Jerome Powell really was a great man. He had a great love for this country, and he leaves an incredible legacy. We, we will miss him. There's so much more that we could say about Colin Powell, and we will hyperlink in the notes to the podcast the books that uh, Mr. Rives has just referenced. But I want to thank you, Jack, for being here. It's always lovely to have a firsthand account uh, of somebody of this stature. And it is uh, with great sadness that we remember his passing. We've been privileged, whether you know it or not, on the standing committee to be, we've been graced by the presence and membership of his son who has joined us. And perhaps Holly can um, mention, you know, just a few things about that. Yeah, uh, yes, thank you. Michael Powell was a member of our Standing Committee on Law and National Security in the late 90s, um, just before he became chair um, of the Federal Communications Commission. And he was so much like his father in both grace and stature. Just, just delightful. Yeah, I, uh, one of my early days on the Joint Staff, General Powell, um, who had a great love of family, of course, his son, Michael, blessed him with his first grandson at the time. And it was it's interesting to me to now see the grandson as a fully grown man, which is, of course, what happens as time goes on. He told me the story of uh, Michael as an army officer, and he was in a tank that was in an accident, and it crushed his hip. And that caused him not to be able to continue serving on active duty. So General Powell joked about uh, what he moved on to, which was a career in the law. But General Powell is very proud of his son. And uh, as, I, as I mentioned, he really valued lawyers. He relied on the legal advice. It was incredible to me uh, with how, how busy I knew he was when he would read through some of our legal reviews were a lot more than NLO, uh, no legal objection. I worked for a Marine colonel at the time. He was the senior judge advocate in the chairman's legal office. And uh, General Powell later took him with him to the uh, State Department. It was Colonel Jim Terry, who had an SJD from the University of Virginia Law School. And Jim sometimes would write more than 20 pages, and he would have attached maybe uh, 15 or more different attachments. And it would be passed into the chairman's office. And sometimes the very next morning, it would come back to our office. And General Powell may have a note, a note on page 13 of Jim's memo. And he'll say, how does this jive with attachment 13, page 24? And I'm thinking, how did you read that? <laughs> but it was General Powell's handwritten notes. So obviously, he's the one who did it. And he absorbed the information. And, and he later applied it effectively. He, he, he always made people feel welcome and special. Uh, I saw him conduct a number of ceremonies. And um, unlike a lot of um, even very effective political leaders who would, would uh, be reading notes or needed a teleprompter, I would see General Powell go from one busy meeting to another, from one ceremony to another, and he would just speak eloquently and effectively. So a wonderful man. Right. Well, we extend our sympathies to Michael Powell from the committee. And Jack, I just want to say thank you for coming. 
I also want to thank our audience today for listening uh, to this special podcast. We do not ever take your attention for granted. The Standing Committee on Law and National Security will keep bringing you national security law topics every week. Please be sure to hit the subscribe button on your app of choice. And if you have topics that you would like us to cover or feedback you'd like to give us, please find us on Twitter at ABA NATSEC or send us an email at nationalsecurity@americanbar.org. And don't forget the lawyers hosting this podcast are here in their individual capacity and not on behalf of any agency or firm. The views expressed on national security law today have not been approved by the House of Delegates or the Board of Governors of the American Bar Association and accordingly should not be construed as representing ABA policy.